Well, hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Ann Jane. I'm originally from Columbus, Georgia, but I joined the military by way of California. I joined the Air Force in 1989, and I enlisted after following the footsteps of my brother. Uh, when I enlisted in the Air Force, I was a personnelist initially, but then after about 12 years of service, I decided to earn my commission, and I became an officer via going through ROTC via the University of South Carolina. Once I joined the officer rank, I became a finance officer, and that that led me into my love of teaching others about the importance of financial readiness and financial preparation. And that's what I'm doing right now as the founder of Financial Freedom Battle Buddies, where I consult and help other veterans, specifically women veterans, um, conquer the battle over their finances so that they can live life. And I'm retired after 21 years of service. How long were you enlisted before you transitioned to officer? No, that's a great question. No, when I um, enlisted in the military, it was straight out of high school. So I didn't have any college. I didn't have any ROTC, um, none of those type things. So as you know, I was fortunate enough to have supervisors along the way that allowed me to go to school back in the day before online came the popular thing. We actually went to the education center and um, took classes. So I actually had like I said, I was fortunate to um, take classes. So it was about not until um, about 12 years in, because actually about my eight year mark, I was going to get out. I mean, I was tired of the military. Actually, I didn't like my supervisor. I didn't like where I was stationed. But fortunately, someone sat me down and gave me some great advice. So I ended up um, staying. So with that decision to stay, I, you know, decided, okay, I'm going to stay. I might as well make the most of it. And by that time, I did have my bachelor's degree. Um, so um, I took an advantage of this thing that was offered through ROTC, where I actually got out for a year um, and went to school to complete my master's. And then I came back in um, as a second lieutenant. Now, the Army has something like that called green to gold. Is that what it is? Is it blue to gold or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's very similar. You know, um, like I said, it was, you know, back then it was a special thing where, you know, if you already had your bachelor's, they'll let you get out or if you didn't have your bachelor's, you can get out and work on it. But yeah, basically, I just went from blue to gold, if you want to call it. Or what I like to call it, well, I switched to the dark side. I like to call it that, too. Well, I switched to the dark side. Well, I switched to the dark side. Now, was your, when you got your bachelor's degree, was it in finance or was it in something else? No, my, uh, my bachelor's was in business, like business administration, you know. Um, I always had a thing for numbers. I wanted to be an accountant uh, before I actually joined the military. But, yeah, I was always a money nerd, I guess. But, you know, so personnel was fine. But my bachelor and my master's was actually business administration. So that goes back to a question of, you know, kind of like it's almost like the uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. Was your your passion for numbers and finance? was around uh that you said you've always been had a thing for numbers at what point in time did you know that the military was going to be part of your life was it a last minute thing or was that along the lines with the money yeah no it was well kind of both it was a last minute thing you know i wanted uh, um money for college i was you know there was three of us i was the youngest and uh, my mama my mother was a single mother at the time so I wanted money um, for college, but I didn't want to put that burden on my mother's shoulder. So my oldest, one of my oldest brothers, he had joined the Air Force 
And um, let me back up a little bit before I say that. But my stepfather, before my they divorced, he was in the army, actually, you know. But I knew that I wasn't going to do army because I didn't want to be sleeping out in the field and I didn't want to be getting up at 5 o'clock, 4.30, doing no PT um, and none of that type stuff. So I knew that I didn't want to do um, army. But once my brother joined the Air Force and I went to visit him one summer, I like what I saw, and yeah, like I said, shortly after high school, at the age of, um, I was still 18 when I went to basic training. See, that's awesome. Um, I remember doing a field exercise that included the Air Force. We set up all the tents and everything, and, uh, you know, called it a night, and then the next morning, we've been up and doing our stuff, and then uh, a couple hours later, a sedan pulls up to where we were. And these four people in uniform get out with with hotel paper cups um, of coffee. And I I said to my first sergeant, I said, hey, you want me to go see what's going on? I think these people are kind of lost. And they're like, no, they're Air Force. And I'm like, yeah, um, we're Army. So I think, I mean, they're, they're coming over here to where we were. And they're like, oh, no, they're part of our exercise. I'm like, so what are they doing coming to my hotel? Yep, that's exactly. how the Air Force does it. That's how we roll, baby. <laughs> I uh, see. <laughs> and I was like, I was, you know, I, I, I felt conflicted. I was like, no, nah, that's not how you do it in the military. When you deploy, you don't go overseas in a, and stay in a hotel when you fight a war. But then I was like, but we're not at war right now. So why can't we hang out with the Air Force people at that uh, hotel and stuff? Just saying. It's yeah, all good. <laughs> yeah, it was all good for you because you were hanging out in the hotel drinking coffee. Yeah, um. <laughs> it is what it is. We all look. We all made choices, right? So <laughs> that sound that sounds to me like you're saying I made the wrong choice. No, <laughs> you um. said it, not me. <laughs> uh oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, yeah. One of the things that my stepdad said we were we were talking about the differences in branches. And my brother-in-law asked him, well, what, why is it so, because I, I made the comment that it was, it's kind of unheard of that somebody in the Air Force will get something like a Bronze Star, Silver Star, or one of those um, high awards, or Purple Heart, for example. Why is it not as common for somebody in the Air Force to get it as it is in one of the other branches? Not that it doesn't happen, but why is it not as common? And, you know, we were saying that it, because each branch has its own mission. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, you know, there's different jobs, you know, like mine, personnel, you know, back in the day before everything kicked off, you know, we weren't the first ones to deploy, you know, um, type stuff. You know, we stay, we're more support. Um, so, yeah, that's understandable. In the Army, when, it, when it, you deploy, not based upon your job that you do, but you deploy, based upon the uh the unit that you're assigned to um and you know and it was great because it was in a um joint environment so i was deployed with army navy um civilian you know so that was really good for me to see you know how the other uh services um did their finance like my commander he was army you know i worked for army crew um but we all were um finances but i have heard that like you said, when you deploy, you go, you know, you may be doing a job that you're not necessarily 
qualified to do or that you train to do um, that type stuff. But based off of my personal experience, I was fortunate enough to deploy in my career field. And in the Army, it is like that, too. You do deploy and you do function as that finance officer in the mm -hmm. Army. Um, it's just that you're doing it on the other side of the world because that's where your unit is. So you, well, um, let me back. Yeah, back no, we don't go as a unit. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 To answer yeah. your question, and, I'm and, sorry, we didn't yeah, so, deploy as a unit. Yeah. And what, what I was going to say too, though, uh, uh, um, along with what you said, when it comes to a joint environment, then yeah, there are a lot of times in the army that we'll deploy individually because it is that joint environment. And so you'll be that Air Force representative to do finance. I'd be that army representative to do military intelligence. And we, our units that of assignment is still back home. And so then when you're in that joint environment, whoever the commander of that particular area is, is your commander, no matter what branch you are in or they're in. Uh, and, and I just say all that because a lot of times we don't understand what that looks like. Um, and I have a, another Air Force friend who did something similar to what you're talking about. She was a civil engineer uh, officer and she deployed and she was attached to an army unit. So she had to learn. And I think I don't know how joint it was. It may have been she was just dealt with all army or mostly army, but she had to learn the army ranks. And that army structure, I mean, the officer ranks are the same in both branches, but then listed is a little different. So she said that she had to learn the army culture and the army ranks while on the other side of the world. And so that was, what you know, something that she had to learn. But it is unique, for sure. It is. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about how each branch has a different mission. And with that different mission... Um, like we all play our role, we all do our part, and that's what makes that's what makes the world go round. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's why I don't know why people think there's just always so much animosity amongst the branches because it's not it's not really like that. No. Uh, so, so the question that I want to ask you is: You came in. You were enlisted, you did personnel stuff, you got your degree, you were thinking about getting out early on, but instead you transi transitioned to become a, a finance officer. When you made that decision to become an officer, was that also the time where you said, okay, I'm going to make a career out of this? Or did you just say, I'm going to try this finance officer thing and see how it pans out and go from there? No, yeah, it, it was definitely a career decision because when I transitioned, I had already had 12 years. <laughs> so, um, you know, I knew that, okay, like I said, if I'm going to stay in it, I might as well get the most out of it. I might as well get paid. And uh, yeah, and that's what I did. So I, I, I stayed um, long enough so that I can earn, you know, retire as an officer because when you're coming in um, prior enlisted, they want you to have, you know, at least 10 years you know, as an officer before you're able to retire. So once again, I was fortunate enough to take advantage of um, an initiative that came out where I only had to do my, I had eight years as an officer at the time, but I had 20 years or 21 years total time, um, 
you know, on my enlistment, so I was able to retire without those 10 years of officer service. Yeah, I think it's similar in the Army, but I think it's six years. I think, I think, mm. I think you have to do at least six years as an officer. Um, but then, you know, but it, that then gets into the, how did you become an officer? Is it the student loan repayment program? Is it just like the blue to gold or green to gold? It, it all, you know, there's all those little back play into it to determine <coughs> what that time's going to look while you were in. So, you, well, before, yeah, hold on. I got to backtrack. I have to read. <laughs> uh, who, well, I think you, I think you kind of already answered this, but who were your influences? It sounds like having a stepfather in the military, having a brother in the Air Force. It sounds like they played a part in you going in that direction. Were there, is that the case or, and, and were there others that influenced that? Yeah, no, exactly. You know, um, you hit it right on, you know, yeah, early influences with, you know, my stepfather seeing the army life and stuff like that. But it was really once my brother, you know, visiting my older, older brother, um, and seeing how the military was, cause, you know, I didn't know nothing besides the military besides being a dependent. You know, as I was a teenager, so we, you know, had fun hanging out with the military kids and on base and stuff like that. But being able to actually go and visit a base and um, see what it was like, uh, that's really, um, you know, my main influences. So, you know, and of course, once I enlisted, you know, I had some, like I mentioned earlier, some great supervisors that, you know, encouraged me to uh, start going to school early. Um, don't don't wait. So they allowed me to do that. And they also encouraged me to, you know, study for promotion. You know, it's like a more competitive type thing. And I remember one of my supervisors, I think I was at E4 at the time. And that's one thing about the Air Force is, you know, it's harder to get promoted um, because you have to test and do all these things. And that test is, you know, harder than, you know, um, other branches. But my supervisor at the time, you know, he'd be like, you need to be studying because all your friends are they're going to make staff sergeant or E5 before you. And here you are going to be over here as an E4, <laughs> you know, type stuff. So he used that type of ribbon to um, motivate me because he knew what I wanted to do in my life. He knew that I was like, yo, uh, I'm trying to get promoted. I'm trying to make this money, uh, that type thing. So, yeah. Money is a good motivator. I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to tell you what, if I had to do the testing, I think Navy does some testing as well. And if I had to do testing the way the Air Force or the Navy does, I would have like gotten out it as an E4 or retired yeah. as an E4 or whatever, because I just I'm, I've never been a good test taker. Yeah, uh, that's not ever been my my strength or my strong suit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you know, that's you know, I, I say that the Air Force does a better job taking care of its people. And I, and I still think that's true. But I don't know about taking them tests. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's, yeah, that you, you bring up a good point. You know, yeah, a lot of people have, you know, anxiety, you know, taking tests. And, you know, and being able to take a test doesn't, shouldn't be the main factor of whether you're eligible for promotion, whether you're deserving to get promoted to the high, high rank, you know. And other things came into play, like your time in service, your time in grade and stuff like that. But it was really, you know, that test. And, um has a school, a leadership school that you go to. And the first part of that leadership school is just leadership related only. And then the other part of that school, like part two or phase two, is related to your particular MOS or AFSC um, to 
be a leader in that particular field, but there's just overarching army leadership and then leadership within that career field, um, which is good. And but to get promoted to E5 and E6, it, it, when it, when I get questioned about those different types of leadership and regulations, it's not just whether or not I get the answers correct, but it's also how I present myself as I answer them and how I function under pressure. So you know, I you know that is one thing that I am thankful for is that that's how I could that's how I got promoted to E5 and how I got promoted to E6, and then E7 and above. It's all about what you look like on paper, um, which I, the officers are like as well. Uh, I think it's like that in, in the Air Force too, is for officers, right? Yeah, yeah. At no point did we have to, um, you know, meet a board. It was really, you know, about your records and your performance report and the type of jobs you had, special duty, you know, um, your rating, who signed off on what. Yeah, very important. Yeah, and that variety of assignment does play a big part too. Yeah. Because... You know, you're competing, you know, like for you, for instance, you're competing against other finance officers. So yeah. why do you, what makes you stand out uh, above and beyond your peers in that same career field? And if you're not standing out, you're always doing assigned to uh, certain types of unit or managing smaller amounts of money, um, then you, how do we know we can trust you with the larger at a larger unit with a larger fund with all these moving pieces. So, yeah, having that variety of assignments are, is important. Yeah, I agree. Um, so here's a question for you. But wait, there's more. So you, um, you, you retired from the Air Force and you're doing finance, uh, financial stuff now. You're, uh, I say financial stuff so that you can explain it. I think a financial coach, what does that look like? What does it mean to be a financial coach? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. You know, people often get confused with a financial advisor um, versus a financial coach. You know, and as a financial coach, what I mainly do is work with individuals around their personal finances, whether that's budgeting, debt, savings, improving their credit score, you know, laying that foundation so that once you have that foundation laid and you want to do more advanced things like investing, the stock market and stuff like that, then I can turn you over or refer you to a financial advisor. So a financial advisor does be more, you know, the investing mutual funds, stocks, IRAs, you know, all of those type things. But I like to say, you know, before you can get to that point, you need to have your foundation set first. And that's where I come in as a financial coach, as a guide to, um, help um, individuals, you know, lay that solid foundation because, you know, it wasn't there for me, you know, when I was in the military as a, you know, I found myself as a single mother um, at a young age after, you know, a divorce, a quick, quick marriage and a quick divorce, but I found myself as a um, single mother with boatloads of debt, you know, whether it was maxed out credit cards and, you know, a car I couldn't drive or couldn't afford because it was a stick shift and the interest rate was crazy on the loan. So, you know, I knew that I had to get my financial house in order because I didn't want my past mistakes to hamper my daughter's future because my daughter was later diagnosed with, like then it was developmentally delayed, now it's autism. Um, and so my daughter had special needs. Um, so I knew that I had to uh, 
get my financial house in order because it was no longer um, about me. It was about my daughter. So that's where my love and my self-education, I should say, when it comes to finances and how to pull myself out of the money trenches um, and stuff like that came into play. Yeah, you know, I never thought about what the difference between a financial coach and a financial advisor was. So, yeah. and it makes sense now that you explain it. A financial coach, you're coaching me on how to manage what I have. And then once I get that under wraps, then somebody else can advise me on, hey, if you put this amount of money over here for this time period and then this amount over here, that's a completely different skill set. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. You know, with the coaching, there's no, you know, trying to sell you um, different services like uh, if you invest in this mutual fund or if you buy this type of insurance, that type of stuff. I don't do that. That's one thing that I um, don't do. But it's more so, you know, I'm providing my service and, you know, and my experience and the tool, you know, I have tools and resources, you know, whether it's budgeting or whether it's, you know, um, getting out of debt, you know, that type of stuff. Just walking through, like you said, being a guide for individuals on their financial journey, you know, and that's what I tell, you know, individuals. I'm just here. You're in the driver's seat. I'm more of a passenger, you know, kind of like a GPS. I might tell you, okay, no, let's go this way or that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, it really is about that person in the driver's seat, um, you know, as far as what they want to do. So, exactly. Recalculating. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Turn right here. Yeah. Recalculating. Look at here. I know you're the driver, but I'm telling you, you need okay. to turn right right here. If well, you guess don't, what? if you want to keep straight, then we're gonna keep straight and we'll adjust. You know, things. And you bring up a good point. You know, things don't go as planned all the time. So you know, you know, you have to be remain flexible. And a lot of it, you know, is because you know, if you're like me. Money wasn't talked about in my household. It wasn't taught in school, right? So a lot of it was you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, it's just really uh, your willingness to learn and to self-educate self -educate yourself and just do things differently. It's not about depriving yourself. It's just really about being very intentional and realizing why you're doing what you're doing. As I mentioned, I did what I did because of my daughter, right? Where it might, for somebody else, it may be completely different. So it, each individual person's situation is uh, unique. So um, that's where I start with my client is to determine what's important to them, what's their why, you know, for doing what they want to do. You know, you say you want to get out of debt, but can you stay out? You know, so why do you want to do that? Why is that important to you? You know, that type of stuff. And determining that why or assessing your priorities, as I like to say, is what will drive people or keep them focused, hopefully, in the long run, because it's not an overnight thing, right? It's not a get-rich type thing, so, yeah. Yeah, you're getting all up in my business now. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, and that's, yeah, because I, yeah, and that's something that, that I wish in school, like high school, that there would be more uh more education on those life skills like you know because at home you may not have learned how to cook at home yeah. you may not have learned how to do a budget and so those are some life skills i mean yes i do think that those things need to happen in the home but in reality it doesn't happen yeah. like that in the home so I, I i do wish that those um those things 
were a part of the educational learning system. But you also said something else that I thought was very, um, very key. I never looked at it like that. You said, how did you say it? That, like, managing your money is not about uh, withholding things from yourself, but yeah. it's about being intentional. I never really thought about it like that because to me, because I have I I didn't do a good job building up that savings. I feel like in order to have money in a savings account, I have to withhold some things from do. I there's some things I just can't do because and I I can't enjoy things because I have to save money. Yeah, it's not that. Yeah, you know, a lot of people think like that. It's not that you can't enjoy things, right? It's to what extent. Right. So and what priority do you put place on it? You place a higher priority on going to Starbucks every day or do you place a higher priority of, you know, saving for that travel, that trip, that cruise you want to take? Right. So it just depends on the priority that you put on it. But like I said, when I work with my clients, it's like. I'm not going to tell you you can't do something. I'm not going to say don't go out. I'm not out to eat. I'm not going to say don't go to Starbucks. I'm not going to say those things. I might say you need to cut back, right? So instead of going out five times a week, what about two? Let's free up, especially if money is tight. Let's free up some money, but it really depends on, you know, what your goals are. So if you don't have any um, goals or plans, then you, you, you know, you tend, might tend to be willy-nilly with your finances and think that you have to withhold things, but it just really starts with Really recognizing what's important to you and what what priority you choose to place on. That's all. Yeah, I mean Starbucks. I think people go to Starbucks because of a name or they're the first like drive through. But you know my solution to that: the best part of waking up is <laughs> Folgers in your cup. <laughs> I mean you can do that at home. I hear you. It doesn't exactly. Yeah, man. <laughs> I hear you. Are the little K-pop, you know, but. It just really depends on the individual, you know, what's, what's your priority. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I like, I like something that you said that I, I try to tell people outside of just finances, but in so many areas of your life, what's your why behind your what? Mm. It's, it's one thing to say, okay, well, I need to go to college to get a degree. Why? why? So I can get a degree. Why do you need to get a degree? Because I can get a better job or I mean it, and and it's not that going to college to get a degree is wrong it's know why you're doing it you're not doing because it? well everybody in my family has done it or because it's just the popular thing to do just know why you're doing what you're doing yeah and I think that's important uh, I, I do want I do want to backtrack on two family things that you said um one of them is you were a dependent um before you joined the military i was not uh i grew up in the same house i was in the the same city and state until i left for the military what's it like being a dependent of the uh, someone in the military and moving around you know actually it was a unique situation because i only moved one time you know when my mother uh, married myself i was a little bit older uh, so I think I was like 12 years old and we were in Georgia at the time. And I think he was stationed in Korea. So um, when he left Korea, he was going to get stationed in California. And it wasn't until that time 
that we moved from Georgia to California. And then when we were in California, they eventually got divorced. So I didn't move around a lot, you know, so it was really that, you know, one time um, move. But, you know, um, the thing with that, with that military family lifestyle, you have friends from <laughs> all over the place, you know, coming and going, because like you said, they're moving um, in and moving out, that type of stuff. You lose, you lose friends because they, their family was in the military, so they relocated. So you lose um, friends um, a lot. But I was fortunate enough that I didn't move around a lot like your normal, you know, uh, military dependents would have. Yeah. Do you feel like, even though you only moved that one time, being in an area where there were the other friends and them moving? Do you feel like as a kid that maybe helped you uh, in later on in building relationships and establishing, establishing new relationships because you had to do it as a kid? Do you think that contributed to that or, or not really? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I never really, um, I don't know. I guess I re never really thought about it because like I said, I was a teenager. You know what I mean? When you're... 12, 13 years old, you know, that type of stuff. You already got it going on. Yeah, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I think it, it, it taught me to have, you know, not to get too attached, if anything, right? Because I was used to people leaving and the herd and stuff like that, but not to get too attached, but also it taught me the the importance of lifelong friendships. Like some of the same friends that growing up 12, 13 in middle school, high school, I'm still friends with to this day. We're grown ups. Shoot, know, not me. Media. You know, it's like we <laughs> talk about our high school days and when we was walking around on posts, you know, because we was all army brats, yeah. right? So we still had that, you have that in um, common. So we, we're still friends um, to this day. So, yeah. Yeah, and me growing up in the same city and town and going to the same high school, when I left for the military, I left. I mean, when Facebook, I mean, I did, and I had, I really had no desire to keep in touch with anybody. Um, when Facebook came along, sure, I would try to remember some of those names and look them up just to see what's up with them, but that was, that was really about it. Um, now the other, the other relationship thing that I wanted, to mention, and I had forgotten that we had talked about this before. Uh, you mentioned your your son having autism. Um, when and it was when he was diagnosed with it, it was called something else early on because it was not really autism was not really a thing at that point. Um, what what? Uh, so a lot of people don't know that autism is a spectrum. It's the autism spectrum disorder, and no two people are alike on it. Um, so some people are low functioning in that they are very dependent upon uh, either a parent or a caregiver and maybe don't speak, whereas other people can function mostly normal lives. Um, so what did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, it was life changing. Actually, it was my daughter. Um Oops, my bad. That's okay. Yeah, it was life changing because, like you said, back then it was developmentally delayed. So I remember actually being in a doctor's office. But I took her for a checkup. I think my daughter was maybe going, I don't know, three or four years old. And, you know, 
I noticed that she wasn't, I guess, talking like some of the other kids in daycare and stuff like that. But I'm like, you know, I didn't think anything of it. But I remember being in the doctor's office and he came back and he was like, you know, there's nothing physically wrong with her, but she's developmentally delayed. So, you know, I said to find myself, you know how that Charlie Brown, you can see somebody's mouth moving, but you like didn't hear them really. So I'm like, what? You know what I'm saying? I was young, you know, I was like still early, mid twenties. And I'm like, what does that even mean? You know, what does that mean? Will she be normal? You know, will she live with me forever? You like forever, ever? You know, that's what I thought. And, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I was just shocked. You know, I was just really shocked. But, um, yeah, it was hard. You know, already being a single parent was hard. And you add that on top of it, um, um, type of thing. So, you know, once again, the military, they had this program with the Air Force called the EFMP, the Exceptional Family Member Program. And basically what that is before I could PCS anywhere, they had to determine if there was facilities there that met my daughter's needs. So I couldn't go just um, anywhere. Um, they had to you know, meet my needs. So I was thankful for that. And, um, you know, but as you mentioned, you know, the, the, the progress that has been made in the field of, you know, autism, that wasn't my case back in the day. So, you know, you, you kind of learn as you went along uh, type thing. So my, my daughter, she's older now. Um, but yeah, she's still, she would be, you know, moderate on the spectrum, but she's, she would never be able to live on her own. She'll always be able to live, have to live with me, um, type thing. So, you know, to just, like you said, that's my why. Everything that I do, um, revolves around, you know, making sure her livelihood so that when I'm no longer here, um, she's not dependent on the state or anyone else, um, to take care of her. But I am fortunate and I be, would be remiss is that, you know, her father, we have a great relationship, great co-parenting. Uh, she's still a daddy's girl, you know, even under the circumstances. So um, he's great as well. So I know I have no concerns about when I'm no longer here. And if he's still here, that's who she would end up with, would be her father. Um, so I'm fortunate with that because I know a lot, you know, a lot of people don't have that to fall back on but yeah that's what it is that's my life yeah yeah there's that is huge and that efmp program so it is that's a, a dod thing yeah so yeah so for people who don't know uh the efmp program the exceptional family member program does just what she said if you if if you have a a spouse or a a child who has a particular special need it can be physical it can be mental health wise um when when that branch of the military sends you to the next duty station one of the things that has to be taken into consideration is will this next duty station have the care needed for that dependent uh, and i remember having a soldier who he was an e4 and they had, I believe, two or three kids, and one of which had autism. And they, there's a particular type of therapy called the ABA therapy that has been shown to be a good productive program. But at the time, and this was back in, I think, 2009, ABA was not one of the supported things under TRICARE. 
are not one of the supported means of treatment and therapy. So he, that soldier, he really struggled and he struggled because he was not set up to be able to go get a job outside of the military and actually support his family. Yet the healthcare that he had, TRICARE, did not appropriately provide for the needs of his family. Yeah. And so that is that is unfortunate. And he ended up staying in, um, as far as I know, at least throughout that that next enlistment. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard choices sometimes. But um yeah, I mean like I said, when I mentioned earlier I was gonna get out. Um, but you know, it wasn't about me. <laughs> At the end of the day it was about my daughter. So I ended up staying in and I'm thankful that I did. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and I have, I have a family member who has autism and he is, how old is he? He is, he'll be 19 this year and he's where he is on that spectrum is he's low functioning. So what life he is still at home, but what life is going to look like once his, uh, two younger brothers have, um, left for college or whatever is next in their life that's going to be a, a tough decision that uh, his parents have to make of what is going to what is life going to look like for him because for him and for them because he he's just not at a place where he's able to support himself uh, and he's nonverbal, so that just adds a little bit of an extra strain to that um, relationship there um, I think the last question that I'd want to ask you is um, joining the military. So if somebody is listening to this podcast and they're thinking about joining the Air Force, the Army, or whatever branch, um, what would you tell them? What what advice would you give them? I would tell them as I, I do my own nieces and nephews, and or if it was even my daughter, you know, the circumstances were different. I would say to do your homework. Um, you know, talk to different individuals. Yeah, don't rely on what your recruiter tells you. Um, talk to individuals that have served, um, whatever branch, you know, different branches. Um, determine why you want to join the military. Don't let it just be because of the good things that you hear, right? The travel, the stability, the income, the health care. You know, yes, that's all part of it, but know the good and the bad. When I served as a recruiter for ROTC, that's how, that's what I would tell them. You know, they're like, oh, you know, the money for college. I'm like, yeah, that's good, but, um, you ready to deploy to Iraq? You ready to be away from your family and go to Korea for two years? You know, um, you have to know everything. I don't do that to scare them, but that's military life. Are you ready to just being told what to do? You know what I'm saying? There's something you can't do in the military, you know, that you can't as a civilian. So are you ready to give up a lot of your freedoms <laughs> um, by being in the military so that you can um, conform and stuff like that? So, yeah, just do your homework and just make sure sure the decision that you make is based off of your decision and not something your parents want you to do um, and that type of stuff and just go in eyes wide open and make the most of it you know every even once you're in you have to end up at a base you don't like or whatever have you make the most of it 
get all the benefits you can get, get all the training that you can get because the military is going to get out, get out of you all it can. So you might as well get out of it all that you can, no matter Heck what branch yeah. it is, get what you can get and then some, but go in eyes wide open is the advice that I would give. Yeah. That's something that I tell people too. And even I was a recruiter in the army. And they didn't like me recruiting because I was honest. I mean, I didn't tell people when they would come in. It's not like I'd say, hey, look, if you want to have a good life for the next 20 years, go next door to the Air Force. I wouldn't do that. Right. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I would, I would tell, I would be up front with people. And w the biggest question that would be asked is, so are, are you going to say, you, you just want to bring my, uh, kid into the military so you can, train them to kill and be killed and i'm like really um okay or you know getting a a, a comment like or, you know, a, a typical question that would be asked like you, you know, when it relates to deployments would be um well how frequently do they do you deploy is it dependent upon the job and what was great was one i was the only female in my office um in my recruiting office and then two i was the only one that was not a combat arms MOS or a combat arms job. And yeah. one of the things that I brought to people's attention is you really just do not know. I cannot guarantee you that within the next year, your son will be deployed or your daughter will not be deployed. Mm -hmm. um, one example that I, I would bring up is I think at that time I had been in the army, I think for 16 years and I would, and I had only done a peacekeeping mission. So it was not even a combat deployment. And I had been in for 16 years. Whereas a, an infantry guy that was a recruiter had been in for eight years and he had deployed for three or four times. So there is no rhyme or reason. And people would say, oh, well, that's because he was infantry. And I would say, well, that did play a big part in it because, you know, he's infantry, but... That's not why. It's not because he was a guy. It's not because he was infantry and I'm a girl and I was not infantry. It's just, it's the way the military works and you have to be willing and prepared to do whatever that is. And I like to tell people, kind of like what you said, when you join the military, no matter what branch it is, you're raising your right hand and you are saying, Uncle Sam, do with me what you want to do however you want to do it to for for the sake of defending this country yeah and i don't know that everybody even realizes that or looks at their joining the military like that but what do i know yeah 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 just be informed and you know and then make your decision can't go wrong um i think somebody that just does you know four years is better off than someone that don't have any military service um, yeah, that's my personal opinion. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you know, this is what gets me. And this is kind of why I'm glad that I did a total of 24 years because I, you know, people, I remember, oh my gosh, I get, I am so full of stories <laughs> that there was a place where, um, I, there was a, a female who was homeless. I think, yeah, she was Navy and I was, taking her to the VA to get her appointments because she was just, she had just gotten, uh, 
she was inpatient mental health for for a period of time and so i just i was trying to i was helping her out and she um was just very adamant about the fact that she was a female uh veteran that served for three years in the navy during the vietnam era and she was entitled and i mean yes as veterans we are entitled to a lot of things but when you just kind of go in hard charging with i'm entitled i'm entitled you know i'm like you gotta step back and she and i remember her saying to me well you don't understand i'm a veteran and she would continue to go and say well yeah so am i Mm-hmm. She goes, oh, you were in the military? And I said, yeah. How long were you in? 24 years. She goes, oh, well, you're more of a veteran than I am. No, I'm not. Um, and she said, well, how can you say that? And I'm like, easy. Did you get a DD-214 when you got out? And she's like, yeah. I said, then you're a veteran. When I got out and I got a DD-214, I'm a veteran. It doesn't yeah. matter how many years, what branch, none of that matters. If you, you, and that's, this is why I think, you know, I think we can do a better job. We, whatever, can do a better job at providing care for those veterans that get out, whether it's been three years or 30 years. Yeah. You know, so that, so that, you know, because the point being, you raise, again, you raise your right hand and said, I'm going to put my own freedoms to the wayside for the sake of other people to have their freedoms. Um, and I think that when you do that, um, that's what makes you a veteran and that's, you know, that should be honored and respected, but that's my two cents worth. Oh, you're great. (laughs) Well, believe it or not, in six minutes, I have another episode I have to record from somebody else, uh, from Clubhouse, actually. Um, wait, what is her name? Yeah. Uh.